Today's program is brought to you by Cane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Cane5.com. This is Sherry Bayer from All in the Industry. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. everyone, and welcome to Eating Matters, where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. I am your host, Kim Kessler, with the Resnick Program for Food, Law, and Policy at UCLA's School of Law, and we're broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on Heritage Radio Network. Today, I am joined by a special co-host, Evan Hanser, chef at Brooklyn's Beloved Egg, writer, and food policy advocate. Evan was previously a guest on the show, and today he's here to help us dive into our topic. But before we talk about that, uh, Evan, I know you have a book coming out, so maybe you can just tell us what that is quickly. Uh, Sure. Yeah. Uh, In about two weeks, we have our breakfast cookbook coming out, uh, which we've been working on for a long time. Uh, An exciting opportunity to see something that we make not disappear uh, 10 minutes after it's done. Um, (laughs) So that's something we've been looking forward to. Excellent. And it's wonderful to have you back in the studio with us. Thanks. So uh, Evan's going to help me dive into the topic for today, which is a great topic. We are going to be talking about food trucks, and we might even call food trucks the phenomena of food trucks, given their rise in popularity and their prominence in our collective consciousness about the food industry and what our city foodscapes look like. And we have really excellent guests joining us to talk about this topic. First, Jordan Lexton. She is the founder of the Snow Day Food Truck and its parent nonprofit, Drive Change, which operates here in New York City to build and operate locally sourced food trucks that hire, teach, and empower formerly incarcerated youth. And also of Drive Change, we have Frederick Coleman. He's the Drive Change liaison. Thanks for being here. We're really excited. It's great to be here. And also joining us from California on the line is Matt Geller. He is going to help us understand the policy and legal issues that often surround food trucks. He is the co-founder and chief executive officer of the SoCal Mobile Food Vendors Association, and more recently, the founder of the National Food Truck Association. So as such, he has extensive experience advocating on behalf of food trucks. Matt, are you there? I am here. Thanks for having me. Great, and it's great to have you on with us. So we wanted to start first with hearing about Snow Day and this really innovative approach to food trucks from both Jordan and Frederick. So Jordan, I know that you actually got your start in the food trucks business by teaching English at Rikers for three years. So maybe you can share with us how that happened. Yeah, the average pathway to the food (laughs) truck industry. Um, So I, uh, my background's in criminal justice and criminal justice education. Uh, I was a teacher on Rikers Island. There's a public high school out there because New York is one of two states that automatically treats 16-year-olds like they are adults in the criminal justice system. Um, I was aware of that for the first time while teaching and really saw the detrimental impact of the criminal justice system on my students, on the youth, particularly young men of color, particularly coming from poor-income families, uh, recycling back into the system post-release. So I spent a lot of time thinking about and talking to them about what we could do during that fragile time of reentry that might broaden opportunity for people 
And there was actually a culinary arts class in one of the facilities on Rikers where people were uh, creative and demonstrating self-confidence and focused and disciplined. And I realized that I could marry a desire to broaden awareness about the injustice inside of the criminal justice system with providing employment and transferable skill learning to young people coming home by starting a food reentry program on wheels. The idea of food trucks were really enticing because they're mobile. They allow you to get out there into the community, talk to people, broaden awareness. They are, by nature of themselves, mobile marketing tools. So why not market something for social good? And Fred, how did you get involved with Drive Change? Um, so I was in another program. Um, you know, coming from the background that, you know, Jordan was speaking about of, you know, low income and, you know, making poor decisions as a, you know, young adult. And Jordan reached out to the program and came in and spoke with me uh, going on two, two years ago um, and requested for me to come check out this awesome food truck and program that is going to be, you know, game changing. And what does it mean to be the liaison? Uh, at first, I didn't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I got an email saying that I was going to be the liaison. And it turns out I was doing that from day one. Basically, I, I bridged the gap between the organization and the food truck. Uh, I still connect with the young adults that work with us and the young adults that will be you know, coming into our program. And from you know working alongside Jordan and Roy, I seem to advocate, you know, our mission really well. So I kind of bridged the gap between the two. So what did you think when you first heard about food truck, food truck as being the business that you'd be getting involved in? In all honesty, I told the people who requested me to talk with Jordan and Roy that I, I didn't want to work on a food truck. Uh, I started uh, working in the kitchen at the program where I was, and, you know, I felt like my end of, cooking was high-end cuisine and I didn't think food trucks were as high-end cuisine until Jordan and Roy came in and spoke with me and they gave me the whole mission of what this food truck is actually representing and they asked me to you know help them start their business and no one's ever asked me to, to help them start anything so <laughs> I was like I'm gun ho like, I mean, yeah and, and we've also done a pretty good job of proving that you can serve pretty gourmet food off of food trucks as well so Yes, you can. It doesn't all have to be frozen frozen nuggets or something like that. So tell us about that. Yeah, because when you said that, I wanted to hear from you. Tell us about the menu, the kinds of things you cook. So uh, Snow Day is the name of our food truck. Um, uh, Drive Change is the umbrella nonprofit organization that wholly owns our for-profit entity, which is the Snow Day food truck, with the intention of potentially down the line either owning new food trucks ourselves or uh, we're actually really thinking about a interesting partnership and affiliation model. Um, but Snow Day was the first one. Uh, and it is a French-Canadian-themed menu, but it sources 95% of the product from upstate New York farms. So we're actually New York's first-ever farm-to-truck food truck. Uh, even our maple syrup is local New York State maple syrup. We serve things like our award. We won the Vendi Award for Best New Food Truck in 2014. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, it was a really exciting day. Um, and so our maple grilled cheese sandwich has been a very sought-after item. Uh, we do seasonal 
seasonal veggies with smoked maple smoked rib. Um, we do lots of different seasonal salads, and we also are just doing something that is called sugar on snow, which is fresh snow with hot maple syrup poured on top, and then it wraps up like a taffy. It's a Quebec Montreal from Quebec and Montreal. So really inspired by like Chef Martin Picard and Hugh Defour, who's now here with M Wells, uh, Mile End, those sorts of uh, food food inspirations. So tell us about the learning curve, um, you know, coming from like a social justice mission and then all the things that you were just talking about, like this whole world of culinary enterprise, um, learning, you know, first the policy issues around reentry and recidivism and then kind of marrying that with this, this whole other mission. How did you do it? Well, I think honestly, one of the biggest uh, realizations that I've personally had throughout the past now year and a half of this business being in operation is how directly connected food justice and criminal justice are, Uh, you know, really, really rooted in poverty and access and lots of issues, similar issues. And and, and what we've seen in dealing with criminal, the criminal justice uh, policy that we're trying to address, that there's a ton of overlap when it comes to food justice. So That's been a remarkable uncovering for us. Um, Our culinary arts director is a a man named Jared Spafford, and he has spent, uh, you know, his whole, almost his whole life in the kitchen, but working at Marlowe & Sons and Marlowe & Daughters and uh, at Flying Pigs Farm with Mike Yezzi and at the Green Market. And so his background is so much more in the food just justice space and the idea of being able to get a product locally, which is something we really care about because we would love to be investing money back into the local economy. It actually is an overlap in that upstate New York, one of the biggest uh, enterprises is the prison industry. So a lot of these small upstate New York towns that used to be relying on um, farming and agriculture for their income are now relying on prisons. Uh, so if there's a way for us to help kind of shift some of that economy back on to the local industry of farming, then we can hopefully try and create more jobs in that space and people won't just have to go into the prison industry and the prison industrial complex. So that's one really specific and interesting overlap of these two Two industries, but um, also for us too, you know, really uh, getting a sense through the food world that we've discovered over this past year and, and a year and a half, just how you know I think really a lot of uh, a lot of the policy roots itself also just in human connection. Um, so like being able to have that moment of interaction at a food truck where you can actually talk about these issues, be it the food justice issues or the criminal justice issues, is a remarkable asset to what we've been doing over the past year and a half. Yeah, I think what you're saying is something that resonates so much with people who have been thinking about food and food policy, and especially as there's more, much more recognition and understanding of the role that structural racism plays in that yeah. and obviously plays in our criminal justice system as well. And so it's interesting to hear you articulate how you see a really... Um, a really coherent uh, marriage between those two and, and the work that you're doing. Can we tell you a quick narrative about maple syrup that's really relevant to that? This person, Jalal, who uh, is affiliated with the Soul Fire Farm, which just got written up as young black farmers uh, in upstate New York, he told us that back during the time of slavery, abolitionists were rebelling against the refined sugar um, industry, and so they just started tapping maple syrup trees. So we thought that that was a really cool, resonating that piece of That is an amazing anecdote. That's <laughs> something that I've never heard. <laughs> and you mentioned when you were working at the prison, uh, you, know, you noticed this culinary training program as a potential route, you know, into this kind of reentry phase. 
aside from that program being available to you that time, was it, what, what was it about food just as a, as a medium, like for whether it be personal connection or some people are familiar with, um, that, that drew you to that as kind of the outlet for these efforts? I believe so strongly in the power of a shared meal. So strongly. Um, I'm, I am uh, someone who loves to cook, but I would n- had zero experience in the actual food industry myself. However, the table was always a place that my family would come, that I'd be able to learn and connect to people from disparate backgrounds uh, through travel and eating, a way that I felt I, like I, in my own life, was exposed to different people and different cultures and different understandings. The power of being able to taste something that someone has made for for you and to have that experience, I think it's an, unlike any other experience that there is. Um, so what really drew me to building a food business in addition to the transferable and also the licenses that people can gain through the industry as well was really that idea that we could create meaningful shared meal experiences that would hopefully help to dispel some of the preconceived notions that people had about what it means to be formally incarcerated. And do, do you know of any... like? similar organizations that are working in the food realm. I mean, for me, I think the Brooklyn Grange had some sort of refugee sort of training program uh, going on. The Fortune Society, right? The yeah. Fortune Society is one of them. Yeah. Um, uh, Reconnect, Cafe in, uh, Reconnect Cafe in uh, Bed-Stuy um, is a pretty similar model. Um, there's Grayston Bakery in, in Yonkers, New York. We take a lot of our inspiration from Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles mm-hmm. as well. We actually had on, <clears throat> last week, we had on Robert Egger of uh, LA oh, Kitchen and yeah, Tuesday yeah. Central. Absolutely, so. them as well. And then there's Cafe Hope, Cafe Reconcile in NOLA. Um, so they've kind of like sprouted out, up a little bit, but... Clearly, it's something that people are recognizing can really be this transformative practice. And is there any way in which all these organizations, you know, I think you see kind of chefs or people in the food realm now organizing around particular issues, whether it be environmentalism or sustainable food or food justice. Is there a network kind of developing in this area? Because, you know, chefs, when they start restaurants these days, you know, are thinking about where am I going to source my food? Like, how is the life of the cow that I'm going to serve? Um, but I think there's still a gap in, in business owners' minds where they're taking more direct responsibility for the people they're employing. Um, it would be nice to see, I feel like, a, a concerted effort on that. Is, is, is there any sort of, sort of network growing up out of that? So that leads us into like where we hope to see this go a little, which is, you know, we, where there is at this moment no unifying effort truly. Uh, but we would really like, we've been, you know, we, I've worked actually on the kimchi taco truck before starting snow day to kind of get my bearings in the food truck world. And what we'd really love to do is we'd love to talk. I mean, we'd love to bring in, uh, create a cohort of food truck owners that are basically, you know, a tagline as a food trucks for social justice, um, who would, we would love to eventually invest in a commissary space here. And then those trucks could park in that space. Mm -hmm. Uh, it'd be like a higher end commissary, better amenities, commissary is like a parking garage for food trucks and all New York City food trucks actually have to park in one. So we'd create a better space. There would be a training facility right there, potential for retail as well. And everyone who parked there would be required to hire directly out of our program, which would really allow us to scale. And we've seen great response from other food truck owners. We've met with people, had small meetings. Uh, If those doors were open today, we feel very confident that between 15 and 20 businesses would be really committed and 
would take the ownership over the drive change mission, uh, have the affiliation on their truck, make it visible. Because we're also demonstrating, too, that being socially conscious is really good for business as well. So, you know, are you a B Corp? We're not. So we're a strict hybrid nonprofit for profit. But if we were to form this other uh, with the potential for this commissary mission, we might act, we might actually end up forming a separate entity to go into that. And then we would definitely look into making that a B Corp. Great. So I want to um, take a break soon and bring Matt in and hear from him. But before we do that, I'd love to hear from both of you a little bit about what you think customers do take away from the truck and how how often there is that interaction around where they get to hear the whole story or if, if you think it's really just more about the food for most of them. Well, being that um, some of my job is to, you know, interact with a lot of the customers besides serving the food, you know, basically spreading the message, a lot of people do walk away with uh, a better understanding of what's actually going on in our criminal justice system and the food industry itself. Um, and needless to say, you know, a great meal. Uh, yeah, a lot of people were surprised to try some of the stuff that we've served off the truck. Um, you know, Jordan uh, wasn't able to, you know, speak upon some of the facts that we trade up our menu so much that people can come to the truck and have the same meal all, all together, have something entirely different. Um, for Halloween, we served heart and it was uh, beef heart and chicken heart, and a lot of people just came into the truck and had a brand new experience to you know something different. Yeah, we, and we've and we've know that like you know the food has to be good, right? Like we we believe that that in order to really make that connection, the food has to speak for itself. It has to be good. But with that moment, once that happens, you know it's really like you're waiting, you're waiting, you're right there, and we're right there to also engage you in what our mission is. So we do things like a criminal justice quiz at the truck as well. We relate it back to things uh, that are happening currently and we have a a screen on our truck that's hooked up to the internet too to kind of help convey that message so i have to get to your truck (laughs) because i am thinking okay food truck like sunny day delicious food maple syrup pop and then criminal justice facts like how like tell me more about that marriage that moment for the customer like so you take their order for something delicious and then you know, how do you yeah, how do you make it feel like part of one one thing? That's exactly what actually happens. Um, <laughs> you think about it when you're ordering your food, you have that moment that you're you know you're talking amongst each other, and you know you make your idle conversation, but you're really thinking about I really want this food. <laughs> <laughs> I've paid my money. I want the food. So within that t- three to five minutes that you're waiting on your food, you have either me or you know one of the other um, snow day employees. You know, basically engaging them and explaining exactly what is going on and what this truck is here for. You know, a lot of people just think they're coming out to this truck to get um, awesome food truck food. And to get hit with this message, a lot of people walk away really informed. So just in that three to five minutes, uh, our program director, Roy Waterman, likes to like really, really engage me to get a 30-second pitch. Mm So, like... It usually goes longer. Let's say it does go longer than 30 seconds because we we do so much. You know, needless to say, the food industry, the criminal justice industry, some of the great amenities that just the truck is involved in itself, like the refurbished wood from Hurricane Sandy that is decorated on our truck, uh, the screenplay, you know, just so much is going on. And to Evan's point earlier too, like I really do think that people want to know that their money is where it's go- like where it's going, 
what what's going on in that business that it's going to. And so for us, like the transparency of being able to say this, it, all of the money you spend in this truck is recycling back into this program to support this re- reentry program that we run. It's a remarkable thing to be able to, to give that to somebody who's there waiting in that moment. Um, and, and also, you know, I think the, the focus on hospitality has been such a huge piece for us. Uh, like really taking on that understanding and principle that we want to create community. Uh, we use the food truck as a mechanism to do that. Yeah, and I think it fits in actually with you know what a lot of other chefs and restaurants and food producers are trying to do in terms of bringing more visibility to what's going on behind the food or beyond the taste. Um, so we'll take a short break and we'll come back and we'll bring Matt Geller into the conversation. <laughs> You are listening to It's Cold and Beautiful by Magical Mistakes. This is Eating Matters on Heritage Radio. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. back on Eating Matters, and today we're talking about food trucks. We have here with us in the studio my guest co-host, Evan Hanser. We also have of Drive Change, Jordan Lexton and Frederick Coleman, and joining us via phone, one of the nation's foremost experts on food trucks, Matt Geller. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you? Good. So we're so glad to have you on to add a little more context to what we've been hearing um, with the work that Drive Change and their Snow Day food truck is doing here in New York. Um, But but to get some broader perspective, can you tell us generally about what the rise of food, you know, what the rise of food trucks have looked like across the country and then your own organization's work in helping to make that happen, particularly on the ground in Southern California? So, you know, we, we started a, an advocacy organization uh, five years ago, really as a reaction to the growth of the trend. Um, it grew very, very fast in Los Angeles County because um, when people wanted to open trucks, we had such a huge uh, inventory of trucks to be rented that it grew very fast, and the regulatory bodies were kind of throwing out fake regulations. So we started this association really to give a voice to the food trucks and to push back against some of the regulations that we found to be a problem. Why um, was that after- that there were so many trucks waiting to be rented? Pardon? Why? Why You said that there were so many trucks just waiting to be rented, which made it a really quick growing business there? Why was that? Well, um, after 2008 and kind of the fall of the economy, the construction sites dried up. So the traditional trucks that had service construction sites for years, especially during the economic boom, 
they went out of business, uh, their trucks were either returned to the renter or um, just given back to the, the owner with, that they had bought them from. And so they were just sitting on commissary lots. Uh, we have right now over 2,600 trucks permitted in the county of Los Angeles. Um, wow. And at its height, it was around 3,000 trucks. So uh, even now, not all of those old trucks have been rented out. So there's still, it's still very easy to find a truck with a health permit in Los Angeles County. And what were some of the kinds of obstacles that uh, entrepreneurs were, were encountering in different localities across Southern California? Well, in, the, the big thing was just um, overreach in regulations. In California, we've got a great vehicle code that says municipalities may make regulations in the interest of public safety. So um, bans on distance restrictions from restaurants, time limit regulations that serve no public benefit, those things, um, those things are not valid here in California. And we have a, a lot of good case law um, supporting our, our, our position. So, you know, we, when I first started the association, there was a 100-foot from restaurant law that was being enforced against trucks. And I had to go tell the police department that that had been ruled unconstitutional in 1979. So the things like that took us some time to kind of peel back. We did have to sue 13 cities to get their regulations uh, basically removed. So what we've really advocated for, not just in Southern California, but as we've helped other associations start, is smart uh, regulations that are based in public safety and public health that uh, protect consumers and help small business owners do their business in a safe uh, and manageable way. So I, I know that you have made the argument that food trucks are actually good for restaurants or, and good for the economy overall. And it's not something maybe that every restaurant owner has, has shared your view in the past. And I mean, brick and mortar restaurant um, businesses. So uh, tell us, you know, wh- why you, why you would say food trucks are, are good for cities and, and ultimately good for the food industry. Well, you know, I think competition in any industry is good. Uh, let's, we can start with that. Uh, in the food truck industry, um, what the food truck industry is, has done has really uh, created a lot of innovation. You know, the food industry, because it's so expensive to get into from a restaurant side, and I, I used to run restaurants, um, it can be a little stifled. You know, you've got this great idea as a chef, but the guy with money is a little nervous to give you all this money on something, an unproven concept. The food truck industry has come in and kind of ignited people's imagination with what the public may want. Ten years ago, if you would have told me that Korean-Mexican fusion was something that, to put money behind, I would have laughed at you. I never, would have never thought it. But the food truck industry has helped really expand the culinary landscape of every city it's been able to touch. And I think restaurant owners are able to gain from that. And food trucks become restaurant owners eventually as well. And we are all so happy that that fusion happened and came to ground. Um, So, and is it the case that it sometimes goes the other way too, that restaurants create food trucks? Yes, definitely. One of the first food trucks in Los Angeles was the Border Grill. Um, And interesting story, I was, I mean, well, interesting comment from Border Grill. I was on a panel at the National Restaurant Association Convention and someone asked the owner of Border Grill if... She was making a lot of money from a food truck, and she said something that kind of shocked me. She said, I'm not losing money, and the business in my restaurant is up 25%, so I don't care. (laughs) It was uh, 
Mm-hmm. She uses it as a roving billboard in Los Angeles that stops every once in a while and feeds people tacos and reminds them how much they love their re- her restaurant. Right. Um, and I noticed with your newly launched venture, the National Food Truck Association, I happened to read through the board member list and I saw that you had several lawyers on your board and they're in, dish- in addition to being food truck entrepreneurs. Um, so an unusual marriage <laughs> of, um, of uh, careers. But I was interested to see so many lawyers. And I guess, does, would you say that speaks to how complicated this can actually be getting these businesses off the ground? Uh, you know, it's not just the businesses off the ground. It's it's kind of, it's maneuvering through the regulatory framework. I mean, I just, just want to tell you, Jordan is and you've got Jordan is nodding <laughs> enthusiastically as you say all of this. And uh, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if Evan thinks that more regular restaurants could use <laughs> could use lawyers too, yeah. with some of the the hoops that they have to jump through. But um, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh well, I mean, in a you know a typical food truck. Uh, especially in the L.A. County area. I mean, they've got licenses in 10 different cities. They're dealing with two different counties. They have to deal with the planning department and, you know, all of those areas as well, you know, whether they can vent from private property. So the, they're kind of awash in regulations from all different sides. And uh, it can get quite complicated. And from, a, from an association standpoint, I think that's why um, uh, people in the industry with a legal background end up jumping uh, jumping to the aid of their respective associations because they have a little bit better handle on the regulatory mm-hmm. issues that everybody's going to have to deal with. So Jordan mentioned to me before we got on the air that you all have actually met. So Jordan, tell me where you met. So <laughs> Matt and I uh, are advisory board members at the food for the food expo 2015 the, they're doing a big food truck thing so we in were milan in, in milan. milan yeah yeah so we were put in touch by elizabeth jones um and uh we had coffee at coffee shop in union square like when was it matt uh six weeks ago five or five weeks ago yeah Six, six weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, and it was just really great great to meet Matt to hear about all the work that he's done out in Los Angeles, and he's been really resourceful for us in thinking about the similar, but, you know, very like he said earlier, it is geographically so specific what these challenges are. So having people in the actual cities that are looking to, you know, make some change is so necessary. Um, but he's been a remarkable resource to us. In, in trying to think about what drive change can do from a policy side here in the city. Yeah, and one thing that, that is, I mean, that everything is regional, right? It's a very regional advocacy push. But the one thing that's not regional is our, is our message. And our message is we're food truck advocates first and consumer advocates are close second. And so we're always pushing, uh, you know, city councils, regulatory bodies to understand that they have a duty to the consumers to promote competition and to allow them to decide where they're going to spend their money. So it's really, really, while, while the strategies may be different around the country, the, uh, the message is always very similar in that, you know, let the consumers decide, let's, let's fight for a, a broader uh, culinary landscape wherever we go. How we get there is different depending on where you are, um, but the message is always pretty similar. Um, Matt, I asked a similar question to Jordan earlier, um, but as someone who really has the lay of the whole food truck landscape, uh, I wanted to bring it to you as well. I know, you know, the association has a, has a lot of 
uh, does a lot of work on the policy side uh, for food trucks and, and getting them started, getting them up and running. And with all the hurdles, it sounds like there are, in addition to making great food and hiring people and all the normal business stuff, it's it's pretty impressive that you know food trucks like uh, like Snow Day would would latch onto something like Drive Change and get a an issue or mission based uh, element of the business in place. Do you see a number of food trucks doing that? Is there something about you know having a food truck being kind of a part of a community or a number of communities that? drives people towards towards those sort of change based missions um and is there anything the association currently does or hopes to do to support those sorts of um endeavors in the future well i think the fact that they're itinerant and they're always moving makes them want to connect with communities um snow day home we also homeboy food truck is one of our members so they're really kind of outwardly um you know that's their mission is to is to drive a cause but food trucks generally that don't have that mission do their best to connect with communities. And so you'll see food trucks, uh, and our association included, doing um, lots of fundraising events, you know, 10% to student body associations. We do a, a food truck event every week, every Tuesday night, that raised over $225,000 for one museum in Santa Monica. So... Just the fact that they move around really makes them want to connect, and when they connect, they're able to use their their popularity um, and their ability to move around to really raise money, bring awareness uh, to certain um, to certain causes that pique their interest. And so, it's, it's it's a very common thing in the food truck industry, especially in Southern California. I've seen. So, Jordan and, and Fred, I want to ask you um, about hearing this talk about entrepreneurialism, do you think that there's a connection there with your anti-recidivism work? Uh, or is it more about the core skills and certifications? Or is there something about small businesses that makes a lot of sense uh, for you to have your trainees involved in? I, I think it absolutely yes. Uh, I mean, Fred can talk to, about this too, but we, like all, since this past year has been a pilot year for us, we hired um, over, we hired 10 young people this whole year. Uh, and we've just built this entire company and business all together. And there is nothing like that, like the entrepreneurial spirit, the ability to be very close to decisions, uh, to see ideas that you have be implemented into practice. It's a remarkable thing. I think that that generates a great sense of self-worth in people, which is unbelievably valuable. But I do think in general, the idea that uh, somebody can be a small business owner um, is also a very powerful tool when thinking about future and what the future looks like. And I think the food truck industry certainly, you know, as Matt was explaining with the excess of food trucks in Los Angeles and the ability to rent them and try out concepts to be creative, that allows for that. We'd love to see drive change here down the line if we're able to get some of this infrastructure in place by way of the commissary to have that kind of ability to allow young people who come through our program to test out concepts, to try ideas, to learn what that would take to eventually be able to even take something that has, you know, be able to franchise it out or do something that allows somebody to really effectively run their own business. Yeah. Right now we actually do that. We actually encourage our team to basically, you know, get creative. Um, A lot of the stuff that we have served off the truck has been through all of us having a meeting together and coming up with some of the great food. Um, some Some of the great stuff that I know came from, um, even though Jared Spafford is the culinary arts uh, director, um, he does, you know, let us pretty much do whatever we want in the kitchen. <laughs> so, uh, 
Everybody like, has a say in what's delicious. Yeah, yeah. Right. So even uh, our new manager, um, Darius, uh, he came up with a couple of great things to go on our grilled cheese. Like, we do add things. It's not just a regular, simple old grilled cheese. This is, uh, as Roy likes to say, uh, grilled cheese on steroids. So... <laughs> How do you how do you make steroids better? You add something else to it. So we've all in, contributed to you know changing up the menu and figuring out what we want to serve. Yeah, and that creativity is I think really central to entrepreneurialism. So I do think that that's a big could be a really valuable component of all this. So go ahead. I was just going to ask: Have you? I don't know how how exactly you think of um, you know what's what's the end point of this program? Is it? someone going off to start their own food trucks or someone going to work in a restaurant or another food truck mm-hmm. or just moving into another kind of like successful, stable job after that. Um, are you at the point where you've kind of like graduated people? Yeah. And, and what does that look like? So our program is a six to eight month transitional jobs model. Uh, this past year was our pilot year. So we're actually launching the full program this spring. First two months are all training. Young people come in, they get their food handler and safety license, mobile vending license. We do a hospitality training. They learn how to work the truck and then four months of employment. And then if at the end of six months, people still need some time. There's their two-month kit like cushion at the end, but we are looking to place people into full-time jobs in the food industry. Uh, we have success at placing people at witchcraft so far and also great performances, the catering company run by Liz Newmark. Um, and then also we want to be able to create other channels for people. I think back to that entrepreneurialism point, the food industry is a fantastic industry. It's a great industry for people uh, coming out of jail and prison because it's a little bit less restrictive in terms of entry, but also we would like, we teach classes in social media, marketing, money management. We want people to say, like, this is the part of the business that inspires me and be able to turn that into a career. So we have to be able to have those connections, find those companies that want to work with us as well. Uh, We think that being in the Pfizer building with these other small food businesses will be a really great ally for that. Uh, And then also if they're culinary arts programs or if they're programs through colleges that people want to go back to, we want to be able to create those channels as well. So absolutely. And, And so we haven't, we've graduated some people but it's been a little bit more organic than it will be kind of moving on from here and is there anything that you're doing um going back to folks who aren't involved in the criminal justice system yet in um you know peers former peers of yours uh frederick you know where you're doing outreach uh before before people start down that path um i think that's what our like maybe further down the line we actually would be an alternative to incarceration uh if if everything goes as planned, there will be no formerly incarcerated youth. So we would have to find something else to do. Yeah, like our goal is to not have to be in existence, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Um, but so it's part of your advocacy strategy. Yeah, but uh, but right now, I mean, but at the same time, you know, there are way too many people that are impacted by the criminal justice system, and it is our it is our reason we get up and do the work we do every day. So. Um, you know, while we recognize that there's a remarkable amount of people who are like touched and, and get to uh, have experience with us by nature of just coming and experiencing the food at the truck and experiencing us at the truck, um, our focus on this population probably won't shift. Uh, we don't really see it shifting. We see it staying pretty clearly in um, working with young people coming home from jail and prison. All right, great. Well, we're going to have to leave it there because we went a little bit over. It was such a great discussion. Matt, I want to thank you for joining us from California. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excellent to have you on. And uh, Jordan and Fred, really glad to have you here. Jordan, I've watched with admiration as you brought this from an <laughs> idea to reality. So it was excellent to see you here today and hear about how you've grown. And Evan, thank you for being on as a co-host. Great to have so much fun in the studio, more than just me. Um, so that will bring us to the close of this episode of Eating Matters. And I want to thank Tim Archer for our show music. I want to thank our assistant producer, Talia Ralph, and our engineer, Liz Smith. Uh, you can find the show here at Heritage Radio Network or at iTunes and Stitcher. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.